Welcome to ADHD SOS. We've heard your call, and don't worry, help is on the way. This is the only podcast that combines mindset skills, cognitive psychology, and the motivational pep talks you need to beat procrastination and achieve peak performance. Join me, your host and fellow ADHDer, Tina L., as we journey from SOS to smooth sailing. Welcome back, SOS squad. Oh my gosh. OMG. (laughs) Today, today we are tackling ADHD perfectionism. We are going after that beast and we're going to take it down. We are going to explore what's really at the root of ADHD perfectionism. Why do all of us have it? Where did that chiz come from? Really? Come on. And then four powerful steps to dismantle it so that we can go after our big goals. Because that's what I want. That's what I want for each and every one of us. So first, let's talk about where perfectionism and ADHD come from. And I want to kick this off by telling you a little personal story. So in fifth grade, we were given the assignment. Get this. This is totally nuts. We were given the assignment as 10-year-olds to create a timeline for the rest of our lives. What? Who does that? So my timeline was a giant poster shaped like an hourglass. And on my timeline, I had earned a PhD, won five Olympic gold medals in swimming and the Nobel Peace Prize all by the age of 25. God. And then with all the remaining time in my life, I would go on to eradicate several diseases, invent many life-saving medications, save several species from extinction and stop global warming entirely oh my god the bottom line is i would be important people would regret ever having underestimated me it wouldn't matter that i had learned to read late that i was placed in the below average math class or that i couldn't keep my room clean none of that would matter because i would have trophies i would have prizes and i would have the recognition to show that none of that bs mattered given my incredible contribution to humankind Nobody would be able to deny my value or my worthiness. Oh, wow. I have so much compassion for that little girl, my little girl self who could not be seen as worthy for who she already was. She was already so thoughtful, generous, resourceful, and just a human being trying to do her best. It's no wonder that I would spend the next few decades struggling with perfectionism. Let me burst a little bubble here. Perfectionism does not come from the desire to do things well. This has honestly taken me most of my life to really understand. Perfectionism comes from self-doubt and never feeling good enough. 
sparked by memories of being disapproved of or feeling unworthy. For me, it was a constant embarrassment of forgetting basic information or being lost when called on in class. It came from not being able to follow simple instructions about how to build something or follow an assignment while I watched everyone else around me easily follow those same instructions. It came from endless careless mistakes, quote-unquote careless. Those words or sentences I forgot to include, forgetting to carry the one. Even when I cared so much about not making those mistakes. Perfectionism is rooted in the desire to be approved of and have other people validate our worth. Perfectionism is fear. The fear that if we are our true selves, flaws and all will be cast out of the tribe. And let me validate for everyone out there that those fears are really, really well founded. When I was my true, messy, forgetful, inattentive, daydreamer self, there were definitely repercussions for that. I experienced a lack of acceptance from teachers, classmates, and my family. And I know I'm not alone in this because there's a lot of research that backs this up. ADHD, statistically speaking, we have a lot of experience as outcasts. Studies show that ADHDers experience far more criticism, stigma, rejection, bullying, and condemnation in childhood from peers, teachers, and parents than the average neurotypical child. It's estimated that by age 10, children with ADHD will hear 20,000 more negative messages than their neurotypical peers. I imagine that's going to have some effect on us, right? Research shows that children with ADHD are less well-liked than their neurotypical peers, and that they're more likely to be bullied during their school years. And even parents, parents are more likely to show higher levels of criticism and less warmth towards those children with ADHD traits. Oh my gosh. Undergraduate students have reported reduced willingness to interact with people demonstrating ADHD behaviors. Well, no wonder we're trying to hide. We're trying to be perfect. We're trying not to show ourselves. And the thing is that research shows that even adults with ADHD who are considered high functioning still report higher levels of judgment from others. Is this resonating, people? Whew. This is so right. This feels so true. But the thing is, perfectionism is our maladaptive response to try to protect ourselves from the judgment of others. And maladaptive, that means that it makes sense that we would try to protect ourselves, but it's not effectively helping us achieve our end goal. It's so common that the preeminent ADHD researcher, Dr. Russell Barkley, says that it is actually the most common cognitive distortion, meaning thought error. It's the most common thought error amongst ADHDers, bar none. Researchers have demonstrated that with a long track record of perceived failures and criticism from others, ADHDers are more likely to develop negative thought patterns that obstruct efforts to change behavior. Oh, 
that is just one thing on top of another. So we already have difficulty with our behaviors. Then we pile the negative thought patterns on top of it, and it's really hard to find our way out. I'm sure many of you already feel this problem to your core, but let me just spell out the real problems with perfectionism. Number one is that it causes us to avoid and procrastinate because the truth is being perfect is nearly impossible. I'm just going to say it's impossible. It's impossible. (laughs) So when we hold ourselves to that standard, we are unable. (laughs) We can't do it. And so we don't do it. And that is how procrastination comes directly from perfectionism. Let me just make clear that this is not the same as feeling driven. I have a vast graveyard of interests and hobbies that I never stuck with because I had the feeling that I couldn't be perfect at them or even better than others. I'll give myself credit here and say that, you know, the truth is I grew up in a very high achieving and competitive environment in a suburb just outside of D.C., Let me tell you a little story about where some of this comes from for me personally. When I was in middle school, I approached my music teacher in the seventh grade and I told him that I wanted to play violin. And what he told me was that it's too late, that I was too old to start learning now and become truly excellent. And There was this idea that if I couldn't be the best, if I couldn't be truly excellent, then this was just an indulgent waste of time. Like, I couldn't just do something because I enjoyed it. I couldn't learn something because it was interesting. I had to be the top. And he wouldn't even allow me to play violin as part of the school's music program because of that. What I learned, what I took away was that if I was going to spend the time I would need to have something to show for it. I would need to have those prizes, awards, high rankings, some kind of recognition of excellence. So guess who never even tried to play the violin? (laughs) That's an unsurprising outcome. I mean, totally predictable, right? But then, of course, I carried that with me. Now, there's the books I never wrote, the YouTube channels I never started, the paintings that I never painted, the businesses that I never started. It goes on and on. True perfectionism doesn't drive me to be excellent. It shuts me the F down. It is procrastination in its most evil form. Total avoidance. That habit of thinking is just so freaking hard to shake. Recently. Recently, I fell in love with dancing hip-hop to online videos. I've never danced before, but I've always wanted to. And um, based on my ability to do the right move, the right way, at the right time, frankly, I'm terrible at it. But also, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. I really, really love it. And after a few sessions, my brain instinctually started telling me that I need to learn the moves properly. I needed to figure out how to be good at this. And then I stopped and asked, like, "Mm, is this really true? Is this really true? Like, why couldn't I be allowed to do something badly? Why couldn't I be allowed to get the moves wrong if I'm having fun? 
And the truth is, that's a bit of a sad truth, honestly, but dancing badly feels like such an indulgence. (laughs) It's crazy. Every time I do, part of my brain asks, are we really allowed to be doing this? This is my tiny rebellion from perfectionism. Here are some telltale signs that you're experiencing perfection-based procrastination. If you hear yourself, even in your mind, say, this has to be perfect because dot, 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 remember what happened in the past, or you're feeling weighed down by goals for fear that you won't achieve them, dot, 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 because remember what happened in the past, all those times that we said we would, but we didn't, we tried, but we couldn't, we fell short of those goals we set for ourselves. Remember that? You beat yourself up over tiny mistakes, dot, 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 because remember what happened in the past. Remember when you got that thing wrong and everybody laughed. Remember when you got those sideways looks. Remember when people were confused by what you were trying to say. Remember that. Or maybe you wait for the quote-unquote perfect moment to do something, a time when you're focused and you feel like it, you feel inspired and motivated and all those fuzzy, lovely feelings, dot, 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 because remember what happened in the past when it wasn't the perfect moment, when you made a mistake, when you didn't follow through, when people laughed at you, when you got it wrong, when you failed the test, remember that? Of course you do. Of course we all do. We remember it all. And that's part of the thing. That's part of the problem. Want to know an awesome ADHD hack? Become a follower of the show and new episodes will be served to you automatically when they become available. No need to remember to have to go looking for new episodes. Fresh survival strategies will be delivered straight to the homepage of your favorite player. On Spotify, click on the name of the show and click follow under the picture of me. And on Apple Podcasts, click on the name of the show, click on the three dots on the right-hand side and select follow. I can't wait for you to join the SOS squad. The second problem with perfectionism is that no amount of work will be enough and no final product will be good enough because the truth is, wait for it, you guys, it's not about the work. It's about our worth. It has always been about our worth. (sighs) This makes me a little emotional, honestly. The lengths we go through to try to prove our worthiness. The thing is, no amount of or quality of work can ever prove our worth because our worth is an inside job that can never truly be validated by the external world. No amount of quality of work will ever feel good enough. Work is just the means through which we're trying to prove that we deserve to exist. And frankly, I call BS on that. We deserve to exist because we do, because we're human and all humans have that, oh, you're me getting emotional, freaking inherent worth. The external world will always demand more of us. That's its nature. But meeting those ever-growing demands will never give us the validation we seek. We have to give it to 
ourselves. I tried my damnedest to achieve what I had set out for myself on that fifth grade timeline. Of course, I never came close to the delusionally high bar I had set for myself. I did achieve some things that I thought would validate me. I competed on a junior Olympic swim team and volleyball team. I graduated with honors from an Ivy League school where I won several academic awards and scholarships that allowed me to travel the world. I became the youngest labor negotiator for the largest healthcare union in California. But the thing is that every time I achieved something, that part of me expected that someone, my family, my colleagues, my bosses or advisors, they would stop and say, oh, wow, I take it back what I thought or said or the way that I criticized you. You really are something. You really are worth something. And let me tell you what, that happened zero times. Zero times. It turned out that nobody was ever keeping score. Nobody really cared about my achievements or how well I was measuring up to that timeline, except me. Those that were happy to point out my mistakes and shortcomings, they didn't really care much about my achievements. They just wanted to poke holes in me, but they never wanted to celebrate me. And still, every time I handed something in, I took an exam or performed in front of other people, I was looking for that confirmation that I had the right to exist. My worthiness was always on the line. What I've learned now is F that, is that it's not my responsibility to live up to the expectations of others. If I let people down through my behavior or my performance, that's not my fault. It's their fault for having those expectations. It's my responsibility to live up to my own expectations. And these days, my expectations of myself are to act with integrity and kindness towards myself. One of the best ways that I can evaluate how well I'm doing this is if I can do absolutely nothing and still feel great about myself. It's in my downtime, my rest, that I can know that I have disconnected my worth from my work and my effort. What I know now is that it has always been up to me to decide how well I'm doing and to design my own barometer for measuring myself and my progress. The solution here is to validate yourself. Decide how you want to feel about you, independent of your work in the world. Let's be specific. What would make you feel on top of the world? If you're not sure, ask yourself what compliments or affirmations you wish you would hear from other people. Often the way I want to feel about myself is that I'm capable, that I'm determined, and that I'm insightful. And now the question is, how do you make yourself feel the way you want to feel about yourself? How can I make myself feel that it's true, that I'm capable, that I'm determined, that I'm insightful? And I propose that there are two important ways, two important times that it's really important that I tell myself what I want to hear in order to feel that way. The first is in the midst of challenge. Our self-talk is usually the most critical during those personally challenging moments. I know we can all relate to this. It's in these moments that we would actually want someone else to tell us, oh, we've got this, or that we're doing a great job for even engaging in the challenge. 
This is an important time to take charge of our self-talk and validate ourselves. When doing this, make it something that you believe. We don't need to make it over the top. Let's make it just real. So for example, I tell myself often, you are putting one foot in front of the other and I appreciate and admire your persistence. Or this is a difficult moment and you're brave for sticking with the challenge. Or it makes sense that you're struggling right now and you're doing such a good job. These are things that I tell myself that I believe are true and I wish I heard it from other people, but I can give it to myself. Honestly, it's better that I give it to myself because I don't need to rely on other people to show me, to tell me, to validate me. I tell myself these things on the regular, and I'll be honest, when I started, that feels a little awkward. It doesn't feel natural. It feels a lot more natural to, like, punch myself in the face, bash myself over the head. Those are the things that come naturally to me. <laughs> but I've I've changed. I've changed my self-talk radically, and as a result, it's changed my whole life. It's worth pushing through the awkwardness to have yourself in your own corner. Nobody's more important to have in your corner than yourself. The second important time that I validate myself is as a daily practice. As part of my wind down in the evening, I make a point to tell myself that I appreciate you. I appreciate you and I give specific reasons so those affirmations feel legit. They feel real. They feel true. So for example, I appreciate the way we stuck with that hard problem today. I appreciate that we were kind to ourselves and looked after our needs. I appreciate the way we were resourceful and we found a way to handle that situation. Even on a bad day, and I might say especially on a bad day, when, you know, I didn't do what I intended to do, I look for some way to appreciate myself. Now, I feel like I can hear the voices on the other end here. I can, I can hear you saying, well, if I say those things to myself, even on a bad day, well, then aren't I just going to let myself off the hook? Like, if I'm good no matter what I do, and even if I do nothing, then what motivates you? And to that I would say, well, how's it going? (laughs) How's your punch yourself in the face and bash yourself over the head going for you? Because for me personally, it didn't go well. (laughs) It kept me from doing the things I wanted to do. It kept me from feeling strong. And it also kept me dependent on other people to tell me that I was good and that I was worthy. And you know what? I'm over that. So over that. When I tell myself that I'm good and that I'm worthy, that doesn't decrease my willingness to try to put forth the effort. It just makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I don't have to worry about being beat up by myself. I have my own back. I know how I feel about myself. I give myself what I need. When I speak the words that I want to hear from others to myself, I find I'm much less in need of the words of affirmation from others. And, and, this is so big, I'm less affected by their criticism 
that rejection-sensitive dysphoria, it's not so bad. It's not so harsh anymore because I give myself love. I give myself props. I give myself the support that I need. And so when other people come in with criticism, I'm like, yeah, well, I already feel great. (laughs) And I know who I am. I know that I'm good. And so it's it's like uh, doesn't doesn't cut so deep, doesn't hit me in my core. My core is strong. And, you know, this is a practice when I've done this repeatedly over time. That's when the opinions of other people begin to fade into the background. It doesn't happen overnight. But perfectionism does fall by the wayside when I don't feel the need to have the validation of others to prove my worth. I affirm my own worth. I appreciate my own efforts. And when I do this, I can allow myself to be imperfect. I can allow the messy, messy way that I am and still know that I have value. These next two points of how to overcome perfectionism are going to be super practical and tactical. The first has to do with getting over the obsession with the perfect quality of our work. And for this, I highly recommend the strategy of time boxing. So we can remove space for perfectionism in the quality of our work by setting a timer and working for only the length of that timer. Whatever you've done is the best you could do for that amount of time at that time. And we can let that be enough. So that means time's up, you're done. The bonus is that we get dopamine. The bonus is that there's urgency in working against the clock, racing against the clock, as I like to think of it. And that's when we know it's good enough. This is honestly how I write the outlines for this podcast and basically anything else. I would never finish, I would never publish If I didn't set a time and then just say, what I've done is good enough. The next tactical way that we can beat perfectionism is by setting minimum baseline goals. And here here we're removing perfectionism from the quantity of work by setting a minimum baseline. This is the amount or quantity of work that we say, this is good enough for today. Or this sufficiently gets the job done. You can also still have a shoot for the moon goal. I mean, God knows we all love big goals and we all love to dream big. And so that if that inspires or motivates you, like keep that, hold on to that. But don't let that be the standard for which you judge yourself. Allow the baseline goal to be a good enough goal and it's good enough. This is about letting go of perfectionism and saying, let's be average because average is finished and that is so much better than perfect. And then lastly, to defeat perfectionism, let's evaluate the self-talk that we have when we rest. Try this experiment. Stop work an hour early or take a whole afternoon off with no plans to accomplish anything productive. When you do that, what is your self-talk like? Can you say to yourself, I deserve rest. 
and I'm proud of myself for doing something just for me? Or do your thoughts turn to something like, I don't have anything to show for myself, or I'm not getting enough done, or I'm falling behind, or I should be doing X, Y, Z? What do you say to yourself? Do you allow yourself to have nothing to show for yourself and still feel great? And now it's time for the Rescue Recap. When it's sink or swim, remember these key takeaways. All right, so this last part, we're going to do a lightning round so that we can remember the four steps that we need to overcome perfectionism. We are going to take this beast down. We're going to take these tools and we are going to put them into practice. First of all, why are ADHD years perfectionists? Well, it's rooted in our feelings of self-doubt, unworthiness, and fear that will be cast out of the tribe. And, well, it's kind of grounded in some truth. It makes sense that perfectionism is the most common cognitive distortion among ADHD years. We have a long history of mistakes, feeling cast out, and being made to feel unworthy. But the thing is, perfectionism is doing us no favors. It is maladaptive because it keeps us from action. We set these unreasonable standards that we can never live up to, and that guarantees us procrastination. No amount of work or polished final product is ever going to be good enough. Oh, Lord, this is the kick in the pants because... Even if we make something that is quote-unquote perfect, it was never about being perfect. It was always about our worth. It was always about trying to get validation from others that we have the right to exist. And I call BS on that. So the solution is that we validate ourselves. We decide how we want to feel about ourselves, and then we reinforce those feelings with positive self-talk and affirmations. In the midst of challenge, what would you want someone to say to you when you're struggling? What would you want to hear? And then say that to yourself. This is powerful. As a daily practice, In what ways can you appreciate yourself at the end of the day? Even on a bad day, what can you say to yourself? What would you want to hear? Why are you still amazing and so deserving of love and happiness? Because the thing is, when we validate ourselves, it's easier to allow ourselves to be ourselves. It's easier to allow ourselves to be imperfect, to be messy, to make mistakes and still know that our worth is not at risk. The other thing is that when we validate ourselves, it's easier to hear criticism from other people and still know, still know in our heart of hearts that we have value because we've made the practice of telling ourselves that we have value. And we can believe that it's true. We have some armor. We have some defense against that. And then some really practical ways for breaking through perfectionism on the daily. One that I really love, I practice this all the time, is time boxing. 
we remove the opportunity, the habit really of perfectionism and the quality of our work by deciding that we're only working for a certain length of time. When the timer is up, we are done and it is good enough. The other is that we set baseline goals. This is how we remove the opportunity or the habit of perfectionism in the quantity of our work because we've set a minimum baseline goal where we say, this is good enough, this gets the job done. And of course, we can still have that shoot from the moon goal. We can still dream big, but that is not the standard through which we're going to decide that we're done or we've done well enough. And then lastly, we can evaluate how our self-talk really is going by looking at how it is when we rest. This is so key. When you allow yourself to rest, are your thoughts kind? Do you continue to tell yourself that you're not good enough, that you're not doing enough because you've allowed yourself time off? When your worth is no longer dependent on your worth or the praise of others, then you know then you can really know that you have freed yourself from the stranglehold of perfectionism. Friends, SOS squad, we do not need to eradicate diseases or save species from extinction or stop global warming or any of that in order to be deserving of love, in order to be deserving of our right to exist, to our right to be happy, to our right to go after our big goals. We already are. (laughs) Me getting emotional again, but for the sake of my little girl self and your little child self, I want us all to know and believe in our bones that we don't need to be or do anything. We don't need to win the trophies or the prizes or any of that. So let's break through perfectionism. Let's get past that and see that as as what it is, which is our desperate need, desire, attempt to survive among people that were deeply critical of us. But at the end of the day, they're not the ones keeping score. Nobody's keeping score. I love you so much. You are already worthy. You are already important. And I cannot wait to talk to you guys next time. Bye.